And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Well, let's just dive right into it, shall we? <laughs> uh, I hit the wrong button and uh, didn't give you a countdown this time. I'm sorry. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at SciFiForMe.com, where you can uh, find... Book and movie reviews, TV reviews, uh, you can sign up for our newsletter if you are so inclined. And uh, uh, and then also, of course, we've got uh, all of the socials where you can find us. I'm going a little bit backwards today, I guess. So uh, we are broadcasting live right now to YouTube, Odyssey, and Facebook. I see Deepentech and Keely Chow in the chat. Hello, good to see you both here. And those of you who are with us live, the chat is open. Uh, you can leave comments if you're over on Facebook. If you're on Odyssey and you want to leave a comment, you have to have an account. That's uh, that's something that we discovered here not too long ago. So, uh, so there is that. If you prefer to get these kinds of shows as a podcast, we're available on a number of different podcast players. And I want to welcome our new listeners in Turkey. Yesterday, uh, yesterday I mentioned we got some new listeners in Nigeria. Today, Turkey shows up on the map, so good to see our audience is starting to expand and grow. That's always good to see, and it is uh, it is a reminder as as we go through this and as our audience goes and gets bigger. Um, there are things such as this that, uh, that remind me that I need to be careful how we treat our audience and don't be like the Tolkien Society. <clears throat> yeah. All right. So the Tolkien Society apparently has stepped in it again. Now, remember, they were, they were all in on the, uh, this big workshop that they did over the, over the summer about how Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings stuff was all about diversity and identity politics and transgender r r representation and all this other stuff. And um, a couple of days ago, the Melon Heads, which is a Lord of the Rings podcast, wished Professor Tolkien a, a, a happy birthday. His 130th birthday was recently. And <coughs> the Tolkien Society... Uh, posted, they posted on Twitter, Melonhead said, you know, happy birthday, Professor Tolkien, and with a photograph of Tolkien. And the Tolkien Society says, do you have permission to use that image? Do you have a hall pass? And of course, the Tolkien Society immediately got dragged, as they should. But this falls into that whole new Twitter... Uh, rules thing where they're they're clamping down on people who post anything that's a photograph of somebody if you don't have permission of that somebody or whatnot and apparently they've the Tolkien Society purports to have bought the copyright to this particular image 
I don't know if that's the case or not. They are making the case, and I, from the discussion that I've seen online, it appears that they might have bought an NFT. I'm not sure. But they were dragged rather efficiently and, uh, and, and summarily locked down their Twitter account. So now their tweets are protected. And if you're not already following them, you're likely not going to be able to. So there it goes. That's, uh, that's the thing. What thing is the thing? Don't be, this is, this is a reminder. These kind of things happen. This is a reminder to me of what not to do with regard to our audience. Uh, I tell you, I think, I think the, I think the, the pressure canister in my chair is starting to go. So, I don't know. Keely Chow says, The Lord of the Rings show is going to flop. Possibly. More than likely. Maybe. We'll see. Because you get into where you have people who are making a thing who maybe don't necessarily understand the thing. And we're going to get to that a, a little bit more here in a minute. Just real quick note here, CES, the Consumer Electronics Showcase going on in Vegas, BMW rolls out this. It is a color-changing vehicle. Okay, it's kind of cool. Sure, this is the stuff of science fiction where your, your color changes on your vehicle. I don't see any practical application for this other than to disguise the vehicle if you don't want it to be found. And, of course, my mind automatically jumps to nefarious purposes. Uh, if you are being pursued, let's change the look of the car so you kind of blend in and disappear. Of course, it would work, I guess, for undercover law enforcement vehicles as well, change the color and such, but I'm like... Why, why, who's going to, who's going to do this? this? is. I don't think this is going to be, um, I don't think this is going to be a production model. Uh, honestly, I, this, this looks like a gimmick, but uh, it's apparently is going to be a thing. The BMW iX, I guess is what it's being called. So who knows? It's just, <laughs> one of those things. Uh, hello, what about, uh, says, uh, the, that car says, rob me, please. Uh, live in a good place while driving this. It's a gimmick like spinner rims. <laughs> I, I would tend to agree. Uh, speaking of respecting the Lord, we're talking about the Lord of the Rings. Um, apparently, uh, a lot of people are making some noise that Robert Meyer Burnett should uh, apply for a new position over at uh, Viacom CBS. Apparently, there's an opening for Vice President of Franchise Management for Star Trek, and uh, Burnett has confirmed this is a position. There was an actual listing for it. I haven't been able to see it because I don't have an account. I haven't signed up for anything like that. But uh, he says, uh, he posts over on Twitter, he says, Honestly, I can't imagine a more self-destructive position for myself. I'd be fired in a week. Um, if, <coughs> excuse me, if, if somebody like Robert Meyer Burnett 
were to get a a position like that where he's in charge of managing the Star Trek franchise, you know that the first day he's there, he would be button heads with a number of people from uh, from Secret Hideout and 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 Bad Robot and. I just, why would you do that to yourself? But it also indicates that Viacom CBS is looking for someone to make things better with Star Trek, perhaps. Um, and and that could that could be the same kind of thing as as BBC bringing Russell T Davies in for Doctor Who. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, fix this. Do something. To fix this. Oh, wait a minute. Key to the child. I, you, ah, uh, how did I do that? All right. I have to apologize to Keely Chow because somehow, um, somehow I hid, I, I deleted something accidentally that I wasn't, I didn't look to delete. I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, Alex Kurtzman is one of those who doesn't, well, doesn't appear to understand the franchise. And and I, I get trying to do new things. I understand that. But I also think that uh, at some point, um, it's it's going to be something that, um, that might turn out to bite them in the butt. Uh, okay, so... This is, yeah, Keely uh, Chow says both Warner Media and Viacom CBS are planning to sell the CW. That apparently is already a thing. And I, I just ran across it. And let me, uh, let me see if I can pull that up because I did, I did have that just right in front of me yesterday because it does appear that that's going to be a thing. And let me. Let me see if I can get it here real quick. C W. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, there is a company that apparently is uh, on track to buy a majority share of the CW. And did I get that today? Let's see here. CW. I got an email on this. It was a it was a report in Deadline, I believe. And of course, my computer is moving really, really slow right now for whatever reason. It's probably because I've got a thousand different tabs open on my browsers. Uh, here we go. Next star. Among, uh, this is, let me throw this over here so you guys can see this, and I'll throw this up here and here. Deadline, the CW CEO Mark Pedowitz confirms Warner Media and Viacom CBS exploring strategic opportunities as majority stake in network is shopped with Nexstar among the suitors. Now, Nexstar is uh, a, uh, an outfit that owns a number of television stations. They're a media group. Uh, kind of like Hearst Television, uh, William Randolph Hearst and that family now still continues to be uh, big in media. 
Nexstar is one of the other big ones. They own a number of different television stations across the country, and I think they own some radio stations of some newspapers. When when you get this, and people people made a big big thing about uh, there was this this video that that circulated a while back of various different news anchors from lots of different stations saying the same thing about you know, fake news and misinformation and all that other stuff. That's a corporate script that goes out to all of the television stations that are owned by the corporation. That's not necessarily a big, uh, a big conspiracy propaganda thing. That's the owners sent this and you have to record it for your market. And, and so that's one of those things that's an, that's an ownership statement, not necessarily that particular station, trying to present this is what we think and nextstar is one of those companies that owns uh, those kind of stations uh, this is updated uh, the CW might get a new majority owner 15 years after the broadcast networks launch its co-parents Viacom CBS and Warner Media's Warner Brothers are considering a controlling stake sale sources confirmed to deadline nextstar media group, which is the CW's largest affiliate group following its acquisition of Tribune, is believed to be among interested buyers. Now, Tribune, I believe, was at one point owned by Ted Turner. I think. I, I, might, I might not have that right. Uh, the potential sale, first reported by the Wall Street Journal, comes amid an ownership change for Warner Media which is being acquired by Discovery pending regulatory approval. Now, uh, a real quick note. It has passed regulatory approval in Europe, I believe. The Warner Media Discovery deal. So it's only a matter of time before it clears all of the hurdles here in the United States, whether that's SEC, Department of Justice, whoever, whoever is the federal agencies that have got to sign off on this. I don't anticipate there's going to be a problem. So... None of the architects from from the article here, none of the architects of the CW, which replaced the WB and UPN in 2006, are still around. Most notably, former CBS CEO Les Moonves, who was the driving force behind it. Since the CW's creation, CBS merged with Viacom while Warner Media was acquired by AT&T, which is now selling it to Discovery. So this is another one of those situations where Viacom CBS is selling off a piece of Viacom CBS. They've, they've sold CBS Studios. They have uh, taken that money and reacquired the Netflix uh, international rights for Star Trek Discovery in order to put it on Paramount+, Plus, which is not in a number of markets yet, which is why they had to put Star Trek Discovery on Pluto TV in a number of countries because people were upset they weren't going to be able to get their discovery fix which okay uh, continuing here hours after news of the potential sale broke Wednesday night the CW chairman and CEO Mark Pedowitz on Thursday morning addressed recent speculation in the press around the CW in an internal memo to staff quote as many of you are aware over the past year or so this transformative time in our industry read that pandemic has led to a series of business activity across media and content companies emphasis on streaming 
Given that environment right now, Viacom CBS and Warner Brothers are exploring strategic opportunities to optimize the value of their joint venture in the CW network. He stressed that it's too early to speculate what might happen. CW, which caters to young adults, has defied expectations getting to 15 years when many had predicted it would fold or move to cable and digital early in its run. The network's business model has worked because of its unique setup being co-owned by two major studios that supply all of its scripted programming. Uh, down here, down here, down here. Let's keep going, keep going. Um. <clears throat> all right, so a next star deal would bring the CW in line with the other broadcast networks following the traditional model of a network controlling its main affiliate stations. It would eliminate the stress over the network's future every time the contracts with the major CW affiliate groups are up for renewal. Okay. And Nexstar is a fairly large media group. This is, this is kind of a big heap of deal if it goes through. Because it, it goes back to our conversation before about consolidation. Everything is consolidating. Everything is strati strati stratifying. And you're getting, the, you're getting the vertical with regard to ownership of all of these different things that are related to each other. So you just have the one company that just does the whole thing. And if the CW gets sold off... Even if it's a majority stake, that means a piece of it is sold, which means another piece could be sold later. Because if they're open to selling a third of it, 35% of it, then at some point, circumstances could be such that they justify selling another 15% or another 30% or, or just getting out of it altogether. Because if, if AT&T manages to sell Warner Media to Discovery and it's probably going to happen then Warner Media could sit there and say you know we've got all this debt the Discovery guys could look at Warner Media's debt and say okay how do we how do we trim the fat here and they could sell their share of ownership of CW completely which would then be either Nexstar, if it's Nexstar, Nexstar and, and Viacom CBS, but Viacom CBS could be looking to sell their part too because they're selling stuff already. So by this time, six months from now, or, or ten months from now, we could be looking at the CW being owned by somebody completely different, or at least it, moving in that direction. <clears throat> because if the deal with Discovery and Warner Media goes through, I would imagine that a number of decisions will be made and announced subsequent to that in the in just weeks. So this will be interesting to see what this does because how does this affect streaming? How does this affect broadcast network broadcast programming? Who's going to be making this stuff? So I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, this is this is interesting, interesting, interesting. Uh, what about in the chat? It says who is stunning and brave enough to buy the CW? I don't. Your question, your question implies an assumption. Uh, 
Um, I don't get the impression, just from the comments uh, that I've seen from Mark Pedowitz, and having worked for a CW affiliate in the past myself, I'll put that caveat out there, I don't think, I don't get the impression that the C-suite at the CW is looking at identity politics and such you know the stunning and brave uh, kind of kind of clues me in there that you might might be asking about that i'm making an assumption here i could be wrong but i don't think that the the cw executives are looking at that kind of thing so much as the executives that produce the programs uh people like greg berlanti and sarah Skechter and and, and mark guggenheim and that and that crowd um because ultimately Okay, that is that is what you're saying. All right, good. I smart that way. Ultimately, what it comes down to for the networks is does this make us money? Does this get the advertisers? And even in the case of a show like Batwoman, which has abysmal, abysmal ratings, no viewership, it has social media buzz and the social media buzz drives conversation enough i guess for them that it generates interest in the network other places <clears throat> so people might not be watching batwoman but they are watching uh, say charmed i'm just pulling one out of, out of the hat um the flash or any of any of the rest of the uh, okay, hold on here. I'm going to hit the right button this time. All right, <laughs> Keely, I didn't, I didn't delete that one. I made it. I made it. Um, and of course, it doesn't show up on the widget. Okay, it doesn't show up on the widget because I had to, I had to manually approve that one. Okay, so. Uh, so, so what I think is happening here is the, the decision-making process for the executives are of, there's a combination of all of these different things we figure, we figure in order to track the performance of our network. It's not necessarily one show, it's this plus this plus that plus these other things and does that provide enough exposure of our content so that the advertisers spend money with us because you can sell an advertising package different ways you can sell just in the network so your commercial will run during the show on the cw network you could sell <coughs> you could sell an ad that runs in the CW's online stream feed. You can sell an ad that runs on the CW's website. And then all of the network affiliates have blocks of time that are carved out by the network for the affiliates to sell. So every commercial that you see, if you're watching on a traditional TV station, like here in Kansas City, it's it's Channel 29. KCWE is the CW affiliate. If you're watching KCWE on your television, you're going to get the national network spots. 
and you're going to get local commercials. Those local commercials are part of that time that's carved out from the network is you get to sell this part, we sell these parts. And it's it's the same for any online stuff. If they're gonna be commercials on your CW stream or your or or your app or your whatever, those can be sold as separate packages. Well, I just want this piece. I just want that piece. And you can pick and choose and, and the sales department is responsible for putting together all sorts of different combinations and say, well, this is your budget. We can do this. That's your budget. We do that. And that's how you get different combinations of different commercials in different places. <clears throat> and that's the only thing that the CW cares about. Can we sell ads? And if you can sell ads... Even if nobody's watching the show, then that's a win. And given that the CW is the redheaded stepchild's second cousin of CBS and Warner Brothers, they don't care as much for ratings. Now, traditionally, your ratings would be driven would be driving the price of ads. Your your ratings are what the ad agencies look like. Uh, look at rather um, your agencies are uh, your agencies are the ones your advertising agencies they work on behalf of their clients to find good packages for for advertisers and they take their piece of course usually it's 20 percent but they look at ratings they look at the you know the the book that comes out every quarter uh, and which which 10 p.m. news program is is the best rated? That's going to get the best price for a 30 second commercial. You're going to charge more because you're number one in the time slot. So those kind of things are are what they factor into. And the CW is going to be looking at that, not necessarily how many people are watching. It's what's the overall over under high low for this time slot on the network. So it's it's a weird thing. Now, having said all of that, you could be looking at the possibility where if Nexstar buys a controlling share of the CW network or some other company comes in and says we're going to we're going to buy a majority share of this. And if CW and Warner Brothers end up not being a part of it at all anymore, that dynamic could change. Even, even with Discovery buying Warner Media, that dynamic could change where they sit there and they say, Batwoman, 300,000 people are watching Batwoman. Why is this show still on the air? And they nix it. It could happen with new owners. So we'll see. This is going to be an interesting dynamic that... Uh, that goes for a while. I think uh, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to definitely be different for the for the network moving forward if they've got new owners. So, uh, hello, Mazuris. I see you in the chat, and uh, I see your comment there about Book of Boba Fett. Let me get to that in just a minute because I'm going to go back and circle to what we're talking about: people in charge. Because Batwoman's a good example of this. You know, Greg Berlanti and Carolyn Drees and 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 that group have kind of slowly sort of kind of slid off the mark in terms of what they're doing with those shows. And it doesn't necessarily follow that you need to have somebody who knows the material, but you kind of do. 
And uh, we've run across, Bounding in the Comics posted us this um, uh, job ad. Vita Ayala was was hyping it on social media. It is no longer there. I, I think I think Vita's tweets probably have been deleted. But this this job posting over at Marvel Comics for an associate editor. This is what I'm talking about here. <clears throat> associate editor. This is the job listing. New York, New York. Marvel Entertainment posted on December 27th. Job summary. Marvel Entertainment is seeking a pop culture expert to join Marvel Digital Media in the role of an associate editor responsible for the creation and curation of content on Marvel.com, the associate editor must be an expert in the Marvel Universe with deep knowledge of Marvel characters across comic books, video games, and more, in addition to the larger universe of fandom. There's something missing from this job description, ladies and gentlemen. There is nothing in this job description that says anything about editorial experience. If you're going to be hiring somebody as an associate editor, that means that they are responsible for the content and the presentation of the content, in which case you're talking about grammar, spelling, and all of that, but also accuracy. Is what you're posting true? Is it an opinion? Is it a fact? Are you posting news content? Are you posting opinion content? What is your associate editor supposed to do? This is, yes, it's it's important. If you're working for Marvel, you should know the Marvel stuff. But you should also have some knowledge of the editorial process. And this is one of the reasons why I think DC and Marvel are both coming up short because your editors are not doing the job of editors. They both need a gym shooter. And here's here's a reason why. Walt Simonson posting over on Facebook. This is Walt Simonson, ladies and gentlemen. Apparently, DC Comics has released a new collection of John Byrne's Fourth World material. Walt Simonson, posting on Facebook, quote, I have a friend, a good friend, named Howard Chaikin. It's really interesting that this comes up because I just saw a video where somebody was talking about Chaikin. Some of you may know him. One of Howard's many gifts is his ability to cut to the chase. I may say something like, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. Howard would say, you don't uh, where you eat. With that in mind, I'm going to. Very recently, thanks to John, I obtained a copy of John Byrne's Fourth World, a DC omnibus of his work from many years ago when he labored in the Jack Kirby fields of the New Gods et al. a bit before I did. I'm delighted to have the collection, and it's a pretty hefty tome, Thank you, John. That said, I was appalled when I got it to see that both the front cover and back cover are drawings by me. The idea that DC Comics would publish a John Byrne hardcover collection with Walter Simonson covers boggles my mind. 
Now, be it noted that at John's request back then, I did do all but one of the covers for his run, but for Pete's sake, it's a John Byrne volume. If there aren't any big drawings in the material by John you want to stick on the cover, shell out a few bucks and hire him to do a new drawing. And he's got an excellent point here. I mean, it's Walt Simonson, sure, but you know, his cover art, yeah, but I can I can see where he's coming from. If you're going to do a John Byrne collection, put John Byrne on the cover. This is an editorial decision, and this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. When you're looking at people at the publishers at the editorial level not having the skill set to do the editorial job. You have to know what you're doing as far as the process of editing. You don't necessarily have to know every single thing about Iron Man or, or the Legion of Superheroes or the Avengers or the X-Men or, or Fourth World or New Gods or anything like that. That's stuff you can learn as you go. <coughs> you can study the history of the material when you get there. Because there's an archive. And there's all sorts of stuff. It's like, okay, I'm going to be responsible for the Batman books. Let me go back and read some of the Batman books so I get an idea of where we're going. But the editorial process does not change. And we keep getting example after example after example of editors and assistant editors at DC and Marvel and Image and Dark Horse and IDW not competent in the job of editor. Heather Antos. <clears throat> all right, so that that all of that to say that when you have somebody in charge, they need to understand both the process of making a thing as well as the thing, the stuff that makes the thing. So what makes Star Trek Star Trek? What makes Doctor Who Doctor Who? What makes Star Wars Star Wars? And now we get into the Book of Boba Fett here. And Mazurus makes the point that I've got in the back of my head. Book of Boba Fett was off to a slow start, but Mandalorian was as well. I'm watching right that right now with my son to get him caught up for Book of Boba Fett. And yes, Book of Boba Fett, uh, Mandalorian did did start off slow burn, but you had the reveal at the end of Grogu. And that was enough of a hook to keep going. People going, wait, what was that? What? Huh? What? What's going on? We haven't had that moment yet in Book of Boba Fett. We're two episodes in. And John Favreau and Dave Filoni have demonstrated that they understand the material such that I'm willing to give them a little leeway at this point. But so far, Book of Boba Fett has been a little disappointing um not really not really so much it's bad it's just i'm waiting for boba fett to show up 
See, and and I had this, I had this happen. I had this thought when the Mandalorian did. There's there's time for Midnight's Edge. If Boba has nothing yet. We're almost two thirds done. Yeah, it was it's what six episodes. When the Mandalorian started, the first episode when Din Djarin goes in and he's he's catching his bounty, that felt to me more like Boba Fett. I was like, oh, oh, okay, they're ripping off Boba Fett. They're gonna they're gonna create this new Mandalorian character that's not Boba Fett for whatever reason, rights and money and whatever. And I'm still waiting for Boba Fett to show up. I don't have anything that I'm familiar with in the history of the character that would lead me to believe that Boba Fett would be willing to be a crime lord. <clears throat> There's nothing in his background that would suggest such a thing. Now, I get it. Near-death experience can give you a different perspective on your life. Various different things happen to you or happen to people you know or various circumstances and whatnot cause you to have a different, you know, a change in career, let's say. But I don't, I haven't seen in the show yet the justification for Boba Fett to decide he's going to be a crime lord and he's going to take over for, for Jabba. It might still be coming. It's, it's very possible that the payoff for this is not going to come until the last couple of episodes, in which case you're wasting an entire season. I get it. We've got to still do five years ago and, and explain how he survived the Sarlacc pit and whatnot. Okay, fine. And I did, I did notice the, you know, yes, the Patton Oswalt thing. That's a wink. I'm sure it's a wink to Patton Oswalt, although this week probably not the best time to call attention to it. <clears throat> but, you know, the hand coming up out of the sand and whatever. And there's also callbacks to Ralph McQuarrie's concept art, uh, which is is great. I mean, Favreau and Filoni know the lore. They know their material. I mean, uh, Cammy and Fixer. Cammy and Fixer at Tashi Station are in this episode, in the second episode. That's a deep, deep cut for, for a lot of people. People who are familiar with the, the, the history of the first movie. And anybody who's familiar with the, the deleted scenes that involve Biggs, this is, this is, that, was, that was fun to see. But it's candy. It's not meat. I want meat. I want a Boba Fett that's a Boba Fett. I want Boba Fett that we got in two and a half minutes of, of screen time in the original trilogy that made him such a, a favorite character because we don't know anything about him. I want the man with no name. I want... The Pale Rider. I, I want the Clint Eastwood Boba Fett, and I'm not getting him. Now, if you give me a good enough explanation for the reason for the change, I'm willing to go along with it. But, you don't have an unlimited amount of time to convince me that this story is going anywhere. I'm two episodes in. 
We're all two episodes in. And of course, the usual suspects are sitting there going, oh, this is fantastic. And there are people out there going, this is boring, this is terrible, this is garbage, it's Disney, so I hate it. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> Mazers, Mazers says, we're getting the Michael Corleone effect. Uh, Michael, Michael Corleone fett. There we go. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things where we're sitting there going, okay, yeah, maybe. Um, uh, Mazur says that part of the story feels heavily lifted from Reven's experiences with the Sand People in Knights of the Old Republic 1. Okay, this I'm not familiar with because I didn't play that game. I, I Like I said I, before, I've peaked at Atari 2600. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, Tom, Tom says it here. Oh, wait, I hit the wrong button. Tom says it here. The point where he'd be at his already supposed to be the best baddest in the galaxy... So how is he learning some simple stuff from sand people, a revelation of sorts? I think I think part of that is uh, the idea of humanizing the the Tuscan Raiders. I get wanting to do that. I understand. Okay, so in this day and age, modern era, current year, we have to explain why people are the way they are and the fact that they're all misunderstood. We don't have black and white villains anymore. We don't have the bad guy without the bad guy's backstory. And, okay, you want to add some some nuance, you want to add some depth, you want to add some, some, uh, some different things to the Tusken Raiders and their culture and whatnot, that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't cancel out anything that we've seen before, it doesn't contradict anything, just kind of adds to it. Okay, fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole thing with Shmi Skywalker, that, why did they have her? Well, they had her to justify Anakin's going, going off and killing them all. I don't, I don't know. All right. So when we get back, I'm going to take a real quick break. When we get back, uh, very, very quickly, uh, we will uh, we will go through some of the different reactions that I've seen online, some uh, some rating stuff and reviews, and then uh, we'll close it out. And we will continue with your thoughts as well. Uh, be right back. Stand by. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week. Plus, interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. Every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here along with you, all of you, whether you're here live or you're here Memorex, we're glad you're here. Leave us a comment, throw us an email, live from the bunker at sci me.com. I do have an idea of how we can utilize the email a little bit 
better. Uh, this is an this is an idea that's been kicking around in my head a couple of days now. The question of the day. Uh, thinking about throwing out a question for people to answer by email so I can read the emails over the air. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kicking around. I'm, I'm debating that idea. I'm also kicking around an idea for a stream over on Twitch uh, inspired by Jordan Peterson, maybe doing a clean your room stream. Uh, because as you can see, the studio is a bit of a mess right now. Those of you who are watching, you can see all of this stuff behind me over here and over here and over here. So maybe I'll just throw the stream on uh, on Twitch and clean the studio and see what happens. I don't know. Uh, also coming up on Twitch, on our Twitch channel, uh, which is twitch.tv slash sci-fi for me. We are planning to do a watch party and it looks like we're going to do this Sunday night at 7 central. We're going to do a watch party of The Princess Bride. So we do hope you join us for that. And of course, on uh, Saturday, we've got a brand new Foreign Bodies that's going to be here. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central. So, uh, so, so we do hope you join us for that as well. Lots of stuff going on here. And <clears throat> some of it's good. Hopefully it's good. Hopefully you enjoy what we're doing here. So we'll see. Book of Boba Fett. Who's enjoying it? We've got a, an 86% critic rating, 74% audience score over on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, <coughs> Samba TV has numbers. 1.7 million U.S. households watch the series premiere in its first five days on Disney+. Plus. Now, Samba TV does not have access to actual... Uh, viewer data, these are estimates based on uh, devices that they have that, that are reporting back to them, is, is, I think is how I understand how, it's, how it works. So this is uh, an estimate number. It's not necessarily the exact accurate number, but it's the best we're going to get because these streaming services do not have any intention so far they haven't indicated such that they want to release any of their numbers we don't know what the numbers are internally we just know what these estimates are um and that leads us to uh this article here in deadline the book of boba fett premiere viewership 13 percent higher than hawkeye now valiant renegade and cameron pasha did a did a did a show on this here not too long ago this is a positive sounding headline but when you get into the numbers, it's not so much from the article. When it came to the Wednesday through Sunday viewership of Disney Plus Lucasfilm's The Book of Boba Fett, 1.7 million U.S. households tuned in to learn more about the mysterious bounty hunter's origins in the first episode. Now, origins are not anywhere near covered in this show. So already deadline, pay attention. <clears throat> The audience for Book of Boba Fett measured by Samba TV across 46 million TV devices with a panel of 3 million smart TV households who watched at least five minutes was 13% higher than the five-day premiere of Hawkeye watched by 1.5 million households. Now, uh, Loki, this goes on in the article, was the first prominent Disney Plus Marvel series to drop on a Wednesday. That series still ranks as the highest five-day premiere for a Disney Plus series per Samba TV. So, <clears throat> so Loki did better than Hawkeye. Hawkeye 
according to reports, is the lowest measured show uh, behind all of the other Marvel shows. Viewership behind Loki was 40% lower. So this headline here that Book of Boba Fett is 13% higher than Hawkeye, that, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it did gangbusters. That's a spin. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the Book of Boba Fett is bad. It's not bad, it's boring. But it's also possibly maybe a slow burn. I don't know. Maybe, but you look at if you if you do the uh, the book of Boba Fett hashtag over on on Twitter, it's a mixed bag. People like it. People don't like it. They, you know, there are there are aspects of the show that people like. And then you have here Cammy and Fixer showing up. And like I said, that's a deep dive. That's a really, really deep dive. Uh, Cammy and Fixer, of course, from the deleted scene involving Biggs. This is for those of you who don't know the scene. <clears throat> there was a scene that was cut out of the movie. They shot it where Luke is out on the moisture farm with the evaporators and he's got his he's got his binoculars and he sees the battle. He sees what's going on up in orbit with the star destroyer chasing the the blockade runner. And he goes to Tashi station and he runs in and he says, "Hey guys, take a look. I got a, there's a battle going on up there." Now we hear this, this is in the audio adaptation that NPR did. And he brings everybody outside, and they all look up, and Biggs looks, and he goes, well, yeah, there's two ships there, but they're not shooting at each other, they're just hanging, they're just sitting there. Could be a rendezvous, could be a cargo drop or something, there's no battle going on. And of course, Luke looks like an idiot. But this is Cammy and Fister, uh, Fixer, Cammy and Fixer, and... A lot of people do, don't know who they are, um, but here they are. They're now canon, officially canon. I mean, they were kind of head canon, pre-canon, but uh, but now they are officially canon. And you can see, uh, you know, we've got images from those scenes. The deleted scene is out there. People have seen this before. Uh, but then you have this other thing. You have Black Carson the Wookiee who first showed up in the comic book pages uh, in Marvel Comics, working with Boba Fett so they know each other. Those of you who are paying attention, they know each other. And of course, uh, this Wookiee is working for the twins, the, the huts that come in and say Jabba's territory is ours now. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. So... They're, they're setting the table for a few things, but it sure is taking a long... It's, it's taking longer than I figured it would for us to get an aha moment. You know? Does that, does that make sense? Borg Pork says, How is Cobra Kai more exciting than Book of Boba Fett? I guess we need some more episodes and story to get us hooked. That And, and that's... that's that's my point a little bit is that we haven't we haven't had enough yet but we should have had something by now Mazur says yes there's not a grabbing moment yet in the arc and this this going back and doing the 
doing the arrow format, which is basically, here's the stuff that's happening now, now being five years after Return of the Jedi, and then here's the stuff in the flashbacks that are, that's happening either during the events of Return of the Jedi or immediately thereafter. It depends on how long he was in the Sarlacc before he, before he escaped. I would say that stuff that's going on is happening while Return of the Jedi is going on. So somewhere out there, Return of the Jedi is happening while Boba Fett is, is recovering and living with the Sand People. So does that mean at the end of the season, at the end of the season, will we get reactions and the news hits Tatooine that the Death Star has blown up again and the Emperor is dead and, and the Empire is done? Do we get that at the end of this, this season with the flashbacks? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Brandon, the anime guy. I think I can see where this is going. I just am not digging what I'm seeing. Cobra Kai is the model. And I have to... I have to admit... <coughs> uh, Brandon says, I don't hold out hope for this anymore. Uh, Midnight's Edge, Tom says, Hawkeye was the worst rated MCU show so far, too. Yeah, and, and it's not... And and Hawkeye was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was okay. I haven't seen Black Widow yet. I haven't seen Shang-Chi yet. I haven't seen Eternals yet. I don't feel compelled to go see those. I don't see... I don't feel a burning desire. I have to see these movies. Um, which says a lot about the marketing of those, not necessarily the quality of the shows. My son saw Shang-Chi, and he says that it's one of the best Marvel movies that they've made so far. Okay. I get around to seeing it at some point, maybe. I probably will. I have a lot of stuff that I've got to catch up on. But the... <clears throat> but the... <coughs> the idea here that you have to have, in, in any storytelling, in any good storytelling, there has to be a hook. And this is something that, that I, I talk about uh, when I'm having conversations and, and, and consultations with advertising clients. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. There has to be a hook. They have to have something that gets these people, um, uh, gets these people, interested and they they will they will pay attention to the message that you have about your product or service you have um you have a need you establish a need <clears throat> and you bring your service your product in to to answer that need to fulfill that need storytelling is no different you're going to have a, a setup you've got a hook and it's just like you know, Chekhov's gun. If you introduce a, a, a gun in the in the first act of the play, it has to be fired by the end of the second act. You have to be doing that. And Mazerus, it's not Mindy, it's me. I'm, I'm the only one here. I'm stuck all by myself. Uh, I do need to get some more moderators, I think. Um, so um, be very, very careful. I might hit you with a wrench. Well, and you see, it's it's not really so much a speed thing, but you can see as I got, as I have all of these all of these different screens, you know, I have all of the all of this stuff is in front of me all at the same time, and uh, <coughs> this is one of those things where I'm like, okay, here's 
uh, here's the layout. So I, I can see what's going on everywhere. This is the this is the control room like you would see in a in a TV station. And yes, I think I probably need another monitor. Maybe. Don't tell Mindy. <clears throat> We've talked about it. We've talked about a couple of different things. Um, <clears throat> but this is this is one of those things where if you don't have that moment in the beginning, whether it's the first first second episode why do i why do i want to keep going agents of shield had this problem in the first season because they were stuck agents of shield premiered and then they spun their wheels and lost 22 million viewers before winter soldier came out and when Winter Soldier came out and the whole thing blew up that Hydra was in the middle of, of infiltrating all of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that reveal happened, we were already, what, 12, 15 episodes into the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And by then they had hemorrhaged audience and the, the reveal of Hydra in the middle of S.H.I.E.L.D., now that that's out there, okay, now we can go tell our stories that we want to tell. But you had all of this time where the, where the show was just not really doing much of anything. And then, you know, the wheels come off and, and the, show, the show actually is starting to, t- to, to take off and, and tell some stories that were rather interesting. Once we were able to see that Ward was a hydrate. <clears throat> And my contention was, if you're going to do Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're going to, if everything is restricted by waiting for that reveal that happens in the movie, then don't premiere the show until after the movie. But they were using the, they were using the show to, to, to hype up and keep connected and, and keep awareness going on, use it as an advertisement for the, for the, for the cinematic universe but they couldn't tell any kind of a story because they couldn't do this. They couldn't they couldn't reveal that Ward was Hydra. <clears throat> but once they did, things started picking up. And the show got better. This is the ki- same kind of thing. We've got two episodes now for Book of Boba Fett where nothing has happened. It's all been set up. It's all been put the pieces on the board. But something is going to have to happen in the third episode or enough people are going to bow out that it's going to be considered that maybe it's not successful. That's a guess on my part. But if it were me, and I heard I heard Cameron Pasha talking about this, you know, you gotta have something in that first episode. And this one didn't. Although, unless... I will allow for the possibility that the the coming up and recovering and escaping the Sarlacc pit was the moment for that episode. Maybe it's possible that we this is the this is the big moment of the show when he's you know he's crawling out and this this and that and the other and okay we don't want to take away from that maybe. But it's, I still want to see Boba Fett. If you're going to give me a show about Boba Fett, I want to see Boba Fett that showed up in The Empire Strikes Back. He's no good to me dead. 
I want that Boba Fett. And we're not going to get that Boba Fett. But you're going to have to explain why the Boba Fett you're giving me is not the Boba Fett I wanted. And then you're going to have to make me want that Boba Fett. Because the Mandalorian in season one of the Mandalorian, Din Djarin was more like Boba Fett than Boba Fett. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, okay, so coming up on Saturday, we've got Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday morning at uh, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central. We've got uh, Foreign Bodies at 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central. And... <coughs> and then next week, the H2O podcast is back on Monday night. And uh, my son has uh, has offered and sat there and said, hey, we need to uh, maybe maybe talk about uh, Superman and Lois when it comes back. So we may have a discussion about that next week. We're still lining up guests for other uh, for other shows and uh, and and we'll see what happens there. So be connected to all of our social media and we'll announce that. Brandon says, yeah, that Boba Fett is that's the Boba Fett we want. We want he's no good to me dead, then I will rule with, with respect. And this is an interesting question from Mazarus. Oh, I hit the wrong button again. Uh, Mazarus says, how do we feel about the Hut twins rather than Talon card coming into play? <sighs> <coughs> Talon Card could still show up. We've been hearing rumors about Mara Jade showing up. Talon Card could still show up at some point. I'm not ruling that out. I think the twins, the Hut twins, are a are a plot device, maybe, um, to introduce the the Wookie into the show. Uh, it could be a mechanism to get the Wookie in, and then there's something if. If they hold the continuity, then uh, then we could get uh, we could get something. But there's also a rumor that Kira could show up again. That that uh, uh, what's her name uh, may be coming back. <laughs> Brandon says I want Dash Rendar. Um, okay, yeah. I'm 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 fine with Dash Rendar. If you want uh, if you want Dash Rendar, that's Perfectly fine. We'll put Dash Rendar in there. Um, <coughs> uh, yeah, Mazer says that is the evil, the most evil Wookiee I've seen, but no context established yet. That goes back to this dependency that Lucasfilm and Disney has on you reading all of the other ancillary material. Well, you're going to recognize this Wookiee because he's in the comic book. Well, no, I didn't read the comic book, so I don't recognize the Wookiee. But you're going to have to, you're going to have to tell me who this Wookiee is, and you're going to have to do it in a way that I go, oh, okay, they know each other. And we haven't gotten that yet. It's coming. Hopefully, we'll see. I don't know. Brandon says, I love Shadow of the Empire. It was great. It was. It is also one of the few uh, extra materials. I, the soundtrack is really good, too. So uh, I would recommend you you check that out if you haven't already. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here. Very good, active, lively chat. And, I, and Keely, I, I agree. Can't wait for season two of Superman and Lois to start. This is going to be fun because those people understand the material. And I have every reason to believe that it's one person in particular 
uh, who is keeping that show on track. So, uh, and, and I'm trying, I'm trying to get him on the show. I want to have him as a guest. I'm going to keep chasing him, see what happens. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Remember, he's no good to be dead. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.